From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod. I'm Brittany Luce. And I'm Eric Eddings. Anyone who knows me knows that I'm obsessed with kung fu movies. And my obsession started with this one scene. It's from this movie called Game of Death. It came out in the late 70s, and in it, Bruce Lee, wearing a full yellow jumpsuit, takes on this kung fu master wearing short shorts and aviator sunglasses. Bruce first encounters him in a dark corner, sitting in a rocking chair, and he attacks. Still seated, the kung fu master kicks him right in the chest and then stands up slowly. It's Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. There's no dialogue because the fight is so epic, you don't need words. This scene was shot almost a decade before I was born. And growing up, I remember hearing my uncle and cousins talk about it like it was a basketball game that just happened yesterday. Like, did you see how he kicked him in the chest? I'd watched dozens of these movies. Fist of Fury, Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, Drunken Master. It didn't matter if I'd seen them 50 times already. Every time they were on, I was there. And I know a lot of people who did the exact same thing when they were kids. So look, I'm not alone in this. A lot of Black people love Kung Fu. But what I've been wondering lately is why? So looking for answers, I set out on a quest to seek wisdom from a true master. The greatest Kung Fu movie ever. Make some noise, y'all. My quest led me to a historic theater in San Francisco to a special screening of an iconic film. The 36th Chamber of Shaolin. More than a thousand people had packed into the theater to see it. This 40-year-old movie was about to get remixed with music from one of the most legendary rap groups of all time. And on the turntables was this man. What up, y'all? It's the RZA, pronounced RZA, R-Z-A, from the Wu-Tang. Sitting right here on a nod. Podcast. Bong bong. That's right. The one and only RZA of the Wu-Tang Clan. More than anybody, RZA is at the center of the relationship between Black culture and Kung Fu. It's all over the music and lyrics of Wu-Tang. He's written books about the relationship. He's even starred in Kung Fu movies himself. So before the show, I met up with him in a little room in the back of the theater to ask him what was so special about tonight's movie. On the surface, The 36th Chamber is just like any other action-packed kung fu movie from the 70s. There's the villain, the Manchu government, the hero, a young student seeking justice for his slain family. And basically the whole second half of the film is just one long, amazing training montage. But when RZA saw the film in his early teens, he noticed a deeper message. I kind of detected that this is a story of not just a kung fu movie, but a story of young people being oppressed by the government, trying to find their voice, then persecuted, family killed, and then a man going to find a way to get revenge, but he ends up going on a, this quest that actually leads him to self-improvement, self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he comes back and starts a movement that 
eventually inspires the world. Teacher, what is it? What we want to know, do men have a right to say what they believe in? Or must they always do what the government says? One brave man alone can do little. However, in the unity of a great many brave men is strength. But, sir, all a man choose are well armed. What can we do? No man's so weak. He cannot help. For me, and where I was at, stuck, you know, between Brooklyn and on Staten Island, New York, you know, 11 brothers and sisters in an oppressive neighborhood, you know what I mean? With, I'm, 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 you know, my family was welfare family. So, in our refrigerator, if you opened it, all you saw was cheese that they gave us. Mm. And sometimes no bread, all right? And we sliced that motherfucker and we ate that, you <laughs> know what I mean? Yeah, it was good, it was like a motherfucker, <laughs> you know what I mean? A kid like that, who then turns on a TV set or, or, or who gets, you know, a few dollars and go watch a movie or whatever, he's leaving that world. He's absorbing another world, then he's bringing that back to his world to improve his world. One of the famous movies is Bruce Lee's Chinese Connection, and it's him against the Japanese. But still, same, same theme. He goes into the park in his own country, and the place says, no Chinese allowed. You were, you were wanting to get in here. No, 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 no. Tell you what, there's only one thing you need to do. Pretend you're a dog, and I'll take you in. <laughs> so think about us sitting here, blacks couldn't drink at water fountains or couldn't go to restaurants. So we had bus boycotts and sit-ins because of these same things. And here it is, I'm watching Bruce Lee go through it. Mm -hmm. I can relate to that man, yeah. you know what I mean? And what was it like seeing that? Like, did you see the world differently after that? Or like, yeah, yeah like how did it change Exactly, you? I saw the world differently. I realized like this struggle happens in all around the world in different places, but we didn't have no, I had no examples. Yeah. You know, you go to history class, you're, we're dealing with the American Revolution. You may get some Greek and Roman. All you get is Western civilization. Yeah. So I cut school and hung out on 42nd Street inside of movie theaters. Yeah. And this is why I know the movies by heart, because they became, it became my education. These movies taught RZA about self-discipline, loyalty, and how to fight back with style. And he wanted everyone else to experience that, too. So he would get his friends together for these epic kung fu movie marathons. I think the imagery of what those movies represented had a resonation of how I wanted my life to be, in a way. Brotherhood, you know, in the streets. Chivalry, a man sees another man being uh, inflicted or afflicted, and he jumps in. You know, in kung fu movies, you'll see a guy, he'll just meet you in a kung fu movie, and a man will fight beside you, and then you become sworn brothers. Yeah. But also the aggression that I grew up in the hood. In the hood, RZA wasn't challenging enemies to kung fu duels. He was having lyrical battles. I was emceeing since I was nine years old. Mm. So, you know, realizing after watching all these kung fu movies and these masters and these grandmasters and my style is better than your style. I was like, that's like kind of what we do. We yeah. battle. We break dance battle, we DJ battle, we MC battle. Mm -hmm. That's what Kung Fu fighters are doing. They're testing each other's skill to see who's the best. Something about the way Kung Fu fighters battled each other really spoke to RZA. Like, they fought with this swag and a distinct style. It seemed like just what his crew needed. And it all clicked for RZA when he saw a movie called Shaolin and the Wu-Tang. He watched it at the 42nd Street Movie Theater with his cousin, Old Dirty Bastard. That's when I... 
discovered the meaning of what Wu-Tang was. Mm. 42nd Street has stopped being 42nd Street. It was mm -hmm. all pornos now. Yeah. But every once in a while, one of those porno houses will give you like a little triple feature kung fu movie <laughs> on a one Friday night, once a month or something. Mm -hmm. It was me and Dirty, we was together, and we was drunk and like, yo, late night, and then for like going home, we were crashing here for a few hours. Mm -hmm. And that fucking movie called Shaolin versus Wu-Tang came on. I never seen it before. Wow. And we walked in at the end of it, and we just seen some of it, like when the when the dude was protecting his pressure points using his sword. We never saw that before. Mm. It was like this nigga's blocking his pressure points with his sword. Yeah, that was you know that, for us that was a great choreography. And it's like yo, let's let's stay and watch it again mm -hmm. from the top. And we stayed and we watched the whole movie again. Fight, damn it. That was my favorite movie. It beat everything because it, it answered something in my mind that was like, yo. RZA realized that while the group didn't have swords, they had bars. And words could also be weapons. In the Bible was said, in the last days and time, the Son of Man shall come. Mm -hmm. Out of his mouth will come a double-edged sword. And with that sword, he will smite the nations. And I was like, no sword could come out of no man's mouth. Mm -hmm. But our tongue is shaped like a sword. I was like, that's us. We the Wu-Tang. We going to change the world. Out of my mouth will come our sword. And with that, we going to slay all competition. Shaolin shadow boxing and the Wu-Tang sword style. If what you say is true, the Shaolin and the Wu-Tang could be dangerous. Do you think your Wu-Tang sword can defeat me? On guard, I'll let you try my Wu-Tang style. Bring the motherfucking ruckus! Bring the motherfucking ruckus! I started thinking of different characters to fit the personality of the MCs that were around me. Yeah. You know, there was a film that was also very uh, cool to me uh, called The Mystery of Chess Boxing, mm. which became one of the titles of one of our songs. And Ghostface Killer named the rise from that. Ghostface Killer went to each person that did him wrong and challenged them and killed them. And every time he showed up, I saw it on 42nd Street. Every time this guy showed up, the audience started like, oh, shit. Like cheering and knowing like he's about to fuck these dudes up. You know, a guy sitting there minding his business. And all of a sudden, this plate would hit the ground. Mm -hmm. And the guy look at it. And they look at it. And once he see it, he goes, Ghostface Killer. Like, <laughs> and they turn around and he's on that dude's ass. Chow Yan Long, how are you? Huh? Ghostface killer! Sumei! Sumei, take the child! Get out of here fast! This man's a killer! And that, actually, that spinning plate, that idea of an identifiable emblem, mm -hmm. also inspired me wanting to have a, a logo that was a, like, when you see it, that's Wu-Tang. Yeah. You know what I mean? You don't got to see nobody's face. When you see that logo, you, you know. know that these motherfuckers are here. Tiger style. The relationship that's uh, kind of existed for a while now between like hip hop, black culture, and kung fu. Like, what what could make this relationship so strong? You know, like it's a little bit of the flash, but there's this is deeper thing too. And I'm curious if for you, you think that it is that 
that message of like one person can fight oppression that might that might speak to why this kind of bond between these two cultures has existed for so long. I think that is real. Yes. I think because, you know, it takes somebody to stand up for the righteous cause in order to make a change, right? And inside these movies, we see that. You know, right now our big movies are Star Wars and, and, and Avengers and the superheroes, which is beautiful. I love those movies as well. Yeah. And hopefully those movies are what's going to instill that inspiration. Like Black Panther really, you know, instilled a lot of positive energy into the black community. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the idea of the movie at the end, he comes and he builds a school in Oakland and he lets them see an example of technology and of a future that opens their mind to something that they never would have seen before. Mm-hmm. Now, those movies are doing it for this current generation. But for us, it was kung fu movies. Riz is right. Kung fu movies were an important way to get more of what we needed. Heroes that weren't white, standing up for themselves, fighting against oppression, and winning. But now, finally, we see a lot more of that. Like, think about it. When Rizzo was little, he found inspiration in the characters played by kung fu stars like Bruce Lee. Now there's Black Lightning, Luke Cage, and Adora Milaje. In the 36th Chamber, the Shaolin monks wanted to bring knowledge and inspiration to the people. But they never specified which people. And for that, I am truly grateful. Let me add this to your podcast. My name is Ariza. This is The Nod. I'll leave you guys with this. There are 12 main jewels of life that every man must obtain. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding, freedom, justice, equality, food, clothing, shelter, love, peace, and happiness. Peace. After the break, I introduce Brittany to a real-life kung fu hero. Hey, Brittany. Hello, Eric. So, I'm just going to get right to it. <laughs> okay, you I didn't ready? think you were going to beat around the bush. All right. What's the one cartoon I've been trying to get you to watch since 2010? Avatar. Yes. Avatar the Last, Avatar, the Last Airbender. You know the full name. That's great. Yeah, it's a, I know it's a, just because I don't like cartoons doesn't mean I, do, I don't know what's popular. Well, yes. It's that, a popular show. It's a very popular show. So I've tried to explain to you what the show is about a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to sell you this time. Okay. It's about this like fictional, magical Asian world with these warring tribes, kind of like Game of Thrones. Another show. I don't watch. <laughs> <laughs> and the tribes, like they each have a form of kung fu that they practice. And there's one kid who can master all the styles. And only he can save the world. Is he the Avatar? He's the Avatar. Okay. There you go. Listen to the title, so I had some some clues. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. So as you mentioned, it is a very, very popular show. Yes. And just stay with me. One of the most 
like impressive things about it and, and what's kind of gotten it so much acclaim mm-hmm. is the way they combine all these very different uh, like types of Asian cultures, like in this way that feels very intentional. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition, the kung fu fighting styles are just so creative and intricate. The way they combine like actual kung fu, like it's based on actual kung fu. Okay. And the use of like the elements like fire and water in this very magical way. Uh-huh. It's just beautiful. It's like art, you know? I mean, Many millions agree with you. Many people <laughs> agree with you. They do. It's a really hard thing to pull off and not like not make it corny. I mean, I can see that. It's like you have a bunch of these kids doing cartoon fighting. It could go left real quick. Very quick. And like to invent all these new fighting styles, like they needed, they needed an expert, you know? They needed a true master. Mm. Someone for whom all of these actual forms of Chinese kung fu were just second nature, you know? Okay. And the person they chose was a black man from St. Louis. Mm, Okay, so this is the thing. I am, like, surprised that Avatar (laughs) decided to, that, like, this guy was the master. Yeah. Not surprised that a black man from St. Louis is a kung fu expert. (laughs) Black people love martial Arts. It's true. It's true. And this black man in particular, his name is Kisu. And if you give me a moment, I'll tell you what it took for him to get from just being a scrawny little kid in the hood to being one of the most revered kung fu masters by nerds like me okay. all over the world. Are you ready? I'm ready. So it's like it's a story just straight out of a kung fu movie. There's a hero, a quest, weird metaphors, and lots of fighting along the way. You seem excited. You know what it is? Is that like I don't like cartoons, but I love a story of a black person triumphing. So there you um, go. Strap me in. I'm ready to go. And so one one small correction. I know I said it's like a kung fu movie, but it actually is a kung fu movie. Okay. Or it is now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, no. Are you ready? I'm going to put on my narrator voice. Uh, okay. All right. <clears throat> I'm going to call this movie Kisu, the First Bender. Chapter, Chapter one, 1 The Karate, the karate Kid. kid. <laughs> I can see that you've decided to commit. <laughs> Kung Fu masters aren't born, they are made. And Kisu is no different. From the very beginning, our young hero is tested. I was raised in um, a very tough neighborhood in um, South St. Louis, Missouri. One of the housing projects there. (laughs) You know, you were fighting the first time you walked out of the door. One of the earliest ones was um, this kid walked up to me and um, grabbed my hand and looked at my nails, and he said, you've got perfect nails. You've got perfect fingernails. And punched me flat in the mouth and chipped my tooth. Young Kisu is a gentle child. His family knows they cannot protect him from the cruelty of the world. So they enroll him in karate. Young Kisu takes to it well, ascending quickly in his knowledge. He learns to block, kick, and punch. He's becoming a warrior. But he fears using his new skills. Somewhere in my mind, I had gotten the idea that you could never use it no matter what, right? And so 
I was letting these kids beat me up at school, and I came home with a black eye, and I, you know, my, we were pretty poor, and my grandmother was spending money for lessons, and she says, boy, you got a black eye. What are these kids, black belts, are beating you up? And uh, I, I told her, you know, I'm never supposed to use it. And she says, no, silly, you, you can use it to defend yourself. The elders have spoken, and young Kisu heeds their wisdom. I finally showed up for myself and said no. And they had no idea that the, the switch had been flipped. And um, so we're going to get you at 315. We're going to beat you up. So that day at 315, I beat the snot out of the two worst bullies that, that had tormented me all year. And that day I walked up the main street with my head high and, you know, followed by a few friends and felt like I was king of the world. But kings have armies, and Kisu is an army of one. He still has much to learn about the ways of Kung Fu and about himself. But young Kisu is hungry for knowledge and determined to find it wherever he can. Chapter Chapter 2, Who's the Master? master. Unsure of his next move, Kisu joins the Air Force. And fortune is on Kisu's side. One day, a storied Taekwondo instructor approaches him on the base. He told me one day, he says, "You you have the potential to be the best at Taekwondo. And I says, I want to be the best. He says, you want to be the best? The Taekwondo master puts the young warrior through a series of trials to prepare his body for what is to come. He says, every day you do 1,000 kicks, every leg, every kick, every day, and you'll be the best. And that was a turning point for me. I had never trained like that. Wait, so you actually did 2,000 kicks a day? For, for quite a number of years, kicking the bags, uh, sparring with hundreds of people. Kisu must push his body to the limit, growing more powerful each day until he has the strength of an elephant. Kisu's body is now strong, but it is his spirit that comes under attack. There were so many detractors in the beginning of uh, when they when they saw who I was that, uh, oh, this guy's not the real thing. This guy doesn't do real kung fu. An Asian person of course, can just walk up and people will automatically assume that they're absolutely qualified, you know, and, and bow to them as a master, whereas somebody likes me, who is obviously not Asian, yeah. I'm going to be tested. I'm going to be questioned. There's a certain level of racism there. Again and again, Kisu struggles to gain the respect he is owed. And so Kisu carries on pushing himself further, harder, beyond just Taekwondo. He wants to learn every style that Kung Fu has to offer. He masters Northern Shaolin, Hung Gong, Praying Mantis, Xing Yi, Tai Chi, and Bagua. (laughs) The caterpillar emerges from his chrysalis. Kisu is now a kung fu master with hands like weapons and perfect nails. And for the first time, Kisu experiences something surprising, a sense of freedom. (laughs) 
You know, in the Kung Fu movies, it was always about the underdog, the downtrodden guy, a guy that, you know, didn't have nothing, didn't have jack, and he went off and learned Kung Fu and empowered himself and went back and beat all of his foes. That's, God, it's, you know, just just to be empowered, just to like, you know, the lynch mob comes for you. And, um, you know, I mean, we're, we're so unjustly persecuted. And it's just like, I mean, that's every black man's dream to be left alone. It has taken Kisu many years of rigorous study to make this dream come true. And now he feels a sacred duty. He must bring Kung Fu to the children. And like anyone hoping to mold the minds of young, impressionable kids, he knows just where to start. Hollywood. I took acting classes. Um, you know, I went out, started doing auditions. I got an agent. Kisu quickly lands roles in kid shows, Power Rangers, Big Bad Beetleborgs, VR Troopers. But on these shows, his face is always hidden behind a mask. And when he auditions for parts where he can be more like himself, a six-foot-three black man... There were never any roles of substance. You were, I was always gang member number four or um, thug number two. As opposed to, you know, I had a, a bunch of other friends that were, you know, of different nationalities. And I don't know, I, just, I see different opportunities for different people. The Earth circles the sun many times. And finally, Kisu does something he's never done before. He gives up. And I was sick of doing stunts. I was sick of auditioning. I was done with the entertainment industry. Our hero is defeated. He abandons his dreams of teaching Kung Fu to the children of America and retreats to his home in a seedy, rundown part of L.A. Will Kisu ever be the same? Chapter 3, The 36th Chamber. Many moons later, Kisu is in his backyard, like a flower after the first frost. He feels his glory days are behind him. He spends his time in anonymity, teaching Kung Fu to a handful of students, wondering if he's lost his way. One pupil keeps pestering him after class, trying to get the master's thoughts on a seedling of an idea. And he had asked me a couple of times, and I told him I just wasn't interested. I said, you know, come to class, pay your dues. I don't want to hear that crap. Leave me alone. But like any good student of Kung Fu, the man would not stop until his teacher heard his plea. Kisu finally agreed to listen. Unbeknownst to me, he was researching martial arts. Um, the kid was an incredible artist and um, had this vision. He wanted to do this show. They wanted to, to create this, this magical fighting style using elements. You know, as he was telling me about this, I says, oh, that sounds like Bagua. That sounds like Tai Chi. That sounds like um, Northern Shaolin. The young man was working on a children's TV show, the very thing Kisu had left behind. But where he once saw failure, now Kisu saw opportunity. They wanted to relate it to real-world martial arts. So I, I chose the martial arts I most respected, the Tai Chi, the Bagua circle walking, the uh, Hungar, and then the Northern Shaolin, which is the Northern Long Fist or Distance Boxing. 
the student seedling of an idea would eventually become. The greatest television show ever. A human triumph that is revered around the world by everybody, except for Brittany. Though she too will learn the way. (coughs) Anyway, uh, back to Kisu. And you know we had all these just these really cool ideas that just kept popping up. It, it wasn't it wasn't you know like somebody punches and you do this. It was like, you know, wow, I've got this magical power. I can pull up a rock. I can punch it across the room. You know, I can bring my arms up and block fire. I can, I can you know, pull water up out of a lake and shoot it into somebody's face or cut somebody in half. You know, what if I spun my hands around and, and made a ball of air under me and go riding on an air scooter? The experience was amazing. It, it, it really brought out my imagination. Avatar creators didn't just use Kisu's wisdom. They filmed him performing the intricate kung fu movements as only a master could and used this as the basis of their animation. Avatar aired on Nickelodeon in 2005. Millions tuned in to watch, and Kisu's Kung Fu quickly spread across the world. What started to happen after the show became popular is um, I would get all these emails from, and these are the ones that touched my heart, from traditional teachers who, Tai Chi, for instance, had a history of, of just being taught to old people. And um, people would send me emails and thank me because for the first time ever in the history of their schools, they were getting huge enrollments of children hmm. who wanted to learn water bending, which is <laughs> Tai Chi, right? Yeah. Um, that, um, you know, uh, Northern Shaolin, no one had ever heard of, became a household name. After all he'd been through, Kisu finally completes his quest to inspire and empower kids like him. He'd reached the 36th Chamber. There's a famous movie, The 36th Chamber of Shaolin, um, where there's 35 chambers of attainment at the temple. The 36th Chamber was taking the Kung Fu to the people. While the original Avatar series ended many moons ago, The world he created lives on in the hearts and minds of people all over the world. At 60, Master Kisu is no longer a young man. He now resides in the mountains of Colorado. And sure as the sun rises, Kisu still trains every day. And he continues to guide the young warriors of tomorrow. But for now, his quest is over until the world needs a master again. I don't know. I don't know if that voice was fit to narrate like an industrial film for a textbook company. I really don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think I could do it. I don't know, man. I'm a very talented You're guy. You're not anywhere near the movie phone guy. <laughs> I don't He got to watch out. Know. I'm coming. <laughs> If a black man from St. Louis can be a kung fu master? No, not (laughs) the same. It's not the same. The Nod is produced by me, Eric Eddings, with Brittany Luce, Kate Parkinson Morgan, and Wallace Mack. Our senior warrior is Sarah Abderrahman. We are trained by Emmanuel Berry, Jorge Just, and Annie Rose Strasser. 
fight-checking by Max Gibson. Dope Kung Fu Engineering by Cedric Wilson. Our theme music is by Khalid B. For a full list of music credits, visit our website, gimletmedia.com slash the nod. Special thanks to Katara, a 14-year-old waterbender of the Southern Water Tribe, and her older brother, Sokka. He never gets enough credit. Toph, you are the petty I've always dreamed of being. Thanks to Iroh for your continued wisdom and Zuko for helping us find our honor. And of course, this episode would not have been possible without the contributions of the boy in the iceberg. And remember to keep an eye out for cabbages. That man has been through enough. Um... And listeners, before you go, um, if you haven't yet bought tickets to our live show, get them now. We are performing at the first ever Gimlet Fest. Wyatt Snack is going to hang out with us. It's going to be so, so lit. It's June 17th at the Brick House in Brooklyn. To get your tickets, go to GimletFest.com. I will see you there. <laughs>